Right now, the ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to give you a gift, and I just want you to hold that gift to the end of the service, okay? There's a method to the madness, so uh, just put it next to you, and uh, we'll get back to that just a little bit later. Corey Tinboom is one of my heroes of the faith. Corey Tinboom was um, a victim of the Nazi regime. Um, she is someone that after World War II ended, probably did as much as any human to try to bring about healing and try to help people that were so wronged to work through forgiveness. And I want to read for you kind of an extended excerpt from one of her messages that she shared where she learned all about forgiveness up close and personal. She learned a lesson uh, in the first person, and she believes that God really, really spoke to her directly through this encounter. She writes, It was in a church in Munich, Germany that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filling out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the doors at the rear. It was 1947. I had come from Holland to a defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins are thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean to be gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, they collected their wraps. In silence, they left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and this man had been a guard at the Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, his hand thrust out. Fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood just seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. 
No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven. And I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me it seemed like hours. As I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, and I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. That we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says... Neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I'd had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. And those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Lord, You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did this, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, and it raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. I forgive you with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's Corey Ten Boom. Can I tell you, I, I don't understand that. I don't get that. Do you? How can someone who was so violated, so damaged, so forever changed by evil, how is that person able to forgive? I I don't get that. My human nature doesn't allow me to understand that. And thus, that's a really long introduction to the topic of the day, forgiveness. See, forgiveness is one of those subjects that I believe touches each and every person differently. It affects us differently. For some of us, it's pretty easy to forgive. For some of us, we're not excited about the next 20 minutes. We don't want to hear another sermon on forgiveness. So understand this morning, I know forgiveness is difficult and it's painful. 
I don't care what the latest book might try and convey. Forgiveness is not an easy exercise to undertake. Many a follower of Jesus Christ, they stumble in their faith when it comes to embracing forgiveness one way or the other. But understand this morning, forgiveness leads to healing and it leads to restoration. There is light at the end of the tunnel, believe it or not. Even for that person that's been struggling with forgiveness for years. Relationships can be healed. The pain can subside. The power of forgiveness should not be underappreciated. And as I was preparing this message, I've really been preparing this message for three weeks, not being in the pulpit the last two weeks, I was just reminded how many times in the Bible people that that we have studied chose forgiveness and their lives were blessed because of it. Remember Esau forgave Jacob. Joseph forgave his brothers. David, time and time again, forgave Saul. Solomon forgave his brother Adonijah. Stephen, remember the words of Stephen as he was being stoned to death? Forgive them. And and we have to talk about Jesus. What were Jesus' words on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Elizabeth Elliot I love this quote about forgiveness. She says, when Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross and prayed, Father, forgive them, he wielded a weapon against which Caesar himself had no power. Who can stand up to the power of forgiveness? So Jesus, yes, Jesus, he really is our model when it comes to forgiveness. This morning we continue our study through the parables of Jesus and All summer long, we've looked at parables, some that we knew very well, some that maybe we'd never connected with before. And this morning, we're looking at the parable of the unmerciful servant. And once again, I've asked one of the students in our church to come and to read this parable for us. Michaela Kitson's going to come at this time. Michaela just recently graduated from high school. She's getting ready to start her college career at Taylor University in a week. And she's going to read for us the parable of the unmerciful servant from Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a few hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And shouldn't you not, er, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. 
so also my heavenly Father will do every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Thank you, Michaela. You know, this parable, like some of the other studies we've undertaken this summer, it's really ludicrous when you think about it. It's so unrealistic that I think you might even be able to say that Jesus is almost kind of telling a joke. He's using hyperbole. It's such an extreme, extreme situation. It's much more than one guy owes a lot and is forgiven and refuses to forgive someone that owes a little bit less. It's much more than that. It's a ludicrous illustration, and Jesus does it on purpose. Now, this is a great time, by the way, if you have study notes in your Bible, to be able to really break it down and and, and say to yourself, how much is a debt of 10,000 talents really worth? Does anyone have any idea how much a debt of 10,000 talents would really be worth? I've got a chart. Do we have that slide, or do we not have that this morning? If we don't, don't worry about it. Just leave it alone. We'll be good. Let me just cut to the chase for you. A talent during the time of Jesus equaled 60 minas, and a mina was equivalent to three months' wages. So math majors, are you doing the math real quick in your mind? Let me cut to the chase for you. 10,000 talents in American currency today would would equal 2.25, wait for it, billion dollars. $2.25 billion in American currency today. If you used American currency back in Jesus' day, which of course would not be possible, it would equal about $10 million during Jesus' day. And instead of maybe trying to put a monetary value on that, just to try to understand how long it would take someone to work that off, 10,000 talents, if Jim Koontz wanted to work off 10,000 talents, it would take him 150,000 years getting a commoner's wage a day. It's ludicrous. It's crazy. It couldn't happen. It's not possible. To even have a debt like that, much less pay off a debt like that. Let me ask you, how do you think people in Jesus' day were able to pay off debts that they owed? Any guesses? What do you think they, would they just go to the bank and borrow more money? No, that's the American way. We've perfected that, by the way, here in America. But in Jesus' day, there was really two ways that you could pay off a debt. The first thing is that you and your wife and your children were sold into slavery. You became slaves, and whatever money was incurred from the sale would go to pay off your debt. Or secondly, you were tossed into jail. You were thrown into prison until the funds were raised for you to be able to pay off the debt. I've never understood the concept that played out in Jesus' time that if someone owes a debt and they can't pay the debt, we'll put them in prison until they can pay the debt. I've never understood that. How would you ever pay that off? But that's the context in which Jesus tells this parable. A person owes a debt of 10,000 talents, 125,000 years of work, And he's left, really, with just one option. He gets down on his knees, and he pleads for mercy. And an amazing, amazing thing happens. The king, with his ledger book that says 125,000 days 
of work. Can you read that there in the back row? This is why you should always sit up front during church. The king does an amazing thing. He forgives it. He says, it's all gone. He says, the ledger is clear. The slate is clean. The debt is no more. It's a ridiculous story. It's an even more ridiculous move by a king to forgive $2 billion in debt. But the king says, it's all gone. Go on your way. Well, as Michaela read for us, this, this person that's been given this gift, this servant that has new life, goes out on his way and he encounters someone that owes him some money. And he doesn't owe him 10,000 talents, he instead owes him 100 denarii. Anyone know what 100 denarii would be worth in the first century world in terms of a debt? Well, we studied a parable about a month ago, parable of the vineyard workers, for we said that the common worker in Jesus' day was paid how much for a day's wage? One denarii. So a hundred denarii would be about three months' wages. Now, that's not chump change, okay? Uh, again, if it was $10 million in Jesus' time that the first servant owed, this would be about $20 that would be owed. The average worker in Jesus' Jesus's day would make about $80 a year if American currency was playing out back then, we know that it wasn't. But $20 during that day was a significant sum of money. But you have just been forgiven $100 million. 125,000 days of work. So what do you think would be the response of the servant who had been shown so much grace? And been shown so much mercy? All right, we got the slide up. Good job. What, what, what do you think would be the response? Not what we read in the parable. No, this servant that was showed grace, this servant that was showed mercy is choked and tossed into prison. The one who was so blessed refuses to be a blessing to others. He's not going to forgive He's not going to forget. No. The person that owes him $20, the person that owes him 100 denarii is going to prison until the last amount is paid. Does that make your blood boil? That, that ticks me off when I read that. I get angry when I read that. But I think sometimes from the first century to 2013, things get lost in translation. So let me give you what a modern day example might look like. Let's say you came to a concert at First Christian Church on Friday night. Let's just say they had Jake Gulledge and Jason Gray, and you came out, and you were at the concert, and you heard Jason Gray, and he's singing his songs, and you just say, I really want to get a CD. I really want to purchase a CD. And you reach into your wallet, and you realize you gave your last 10 spot to your daughter or your son so they could go to the movie theater. But you really, really want the CD because he was awesome, by the way. It was a great evening, by the way. And so you go up to somebody like Tim Winthy or Jim Koontz or Adam Brucker. And they say, look, you say, look, I've, I've, I don't have money in my wallet. 
I really want the CD. Jason Gray's moving on to Peoria for the next concert. Can I borrow a 10 spot? And without thinking, they get into their wallet and they pull out the money and they give you the 10 spot. They give you the $10. And you don't think a whole lot about it. And then later, that, that next day on Saturday, you hear a knock at your door. And it's a guy dressed in a three-piece suit with a briefcase. And your first thought is, oh no, it's the IRS. But it turns out that it's a lawyer from Canada. See, you've got a long-lost aunt that lives somewhere on Prince Edward Island, and she has died, and you thought she didn't have a penny to her name, but she actually has left you $5 million. And, man, your mind starts to spin. You're waiting for the camera to, to come out and say, surprise, you're on candid camera, but there's no surprise. It's legitimate. You have the money, and you start thinking about my mortgage is going to get paid off. And my, my daughter's tuition or my son's tuition, that's not a problem anymore. And that all-inclusive cruise that we've been dreaming of, it's going to be a reality. And you come to First Christian Church on Sunday morning, and you walk through the doors, and you see Tim, or you see Jim, and you see Adam. What's the first thing on your mind? Is the first thing on your mind to walk up to him and say, where's my $10, buddy? Pay me now? Of course not. What do you say? Ah, forget it. Don't worry about it. That is chump change, relatively speaking. In our parable, thankfully, there are tattletales. Thankfully, there are people that are watching this unfold, and they say, that's just not fair, and they go to the king, and they tell on the first servant, and the next thing you know, that servant that was forgiven so much has to go back before the king and this time the king is not gracious. This time the king does not show mercy. This time the king is not happy at all. This time the king exacts justice. He says throw him in prison until every last penny is paid. He rescinds earlier forgiveness. Well, what do we do with this parable as we wrap up this morning? There's really two teaching points that I want you to grab a hold of this morning as we look at this parable. And the first thing that I want you to see is the very first question. Mark, will you go to slide number two for just a moment? I want to put up the words of Jesus and Peter for everyone to see. This parable began with Peter asking Jesus a question. Peter said, how many times do I have to sin? How many times do I have to forgive when my brother sins against me? And then he throws this in here for comment. And Peter's trying to impress the teacher when he does this. Does he say, as many as seven times? We might not understand that today, but back in the day, the first century world, many of the rabbis had actually put a limit on how many times you had to forgive somebody that sinned against you. There were some rabbis that said it was only three times that you had to forgive, or four times that you had to forgive. So Peter says as many as seven times, Peter thinks he's really doing something special here. And Jesus just blows it up. Jesus says not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven times. And I don't know if it's 77, I don't know if it's 490 you got to be impressed that I got 77 times 7 that quickly, don't you? I don't even know if that's correct. I just made that up. Here's the point Jesus is making. Plan on forgiving. 
when someone sins against you, if you're my follower, plan on forgiving them. When you are wronged and you are hurt and you are angry and you can't believe how you have been treated, if you're my follower, you will forgive. Not seven times, but 77 times. And then the the second thing that I want you to grab is at the very end of this parable. Mark, go to slide five, please. And it's verse 35. Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father rolls for every single one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's why in the middle of the Sermon on the Mountain, we've had it read a couple times this morning, Jesus in the middle of his greatest sermon, says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you won't forgive when men sin against you or women sin against you or teens sin against you, your Father will not forgive your sins. How do you feel about the villain in our parable? That first servant. He he makes my blood boil, just to be honest with you. Makes me angry. I can't believe how he would act when he was shown so much grace and so much mercy. Can I give you a little secret? Can I give you a little insight? I'm that servant. You're that servant. See, every one of us that is here today, we've incurred a debt that we can't pay. It's the price of sin. The wages of sin is death. You deserve it, and you deserve it, and you deserve it, and you deserve it, and I deserve it. And the awesome thing about Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Say that with me. Jesus paid it all. One more time. Jesus paid it all. And the only thing that Jesus says related to our forgiveness is forgive others. Be a blessing to others. In Mark chapter eleven twenty five, we're going to put this scripture up on the screen. Jesus said, if you stand praying and you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins as well. Where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? Right now, I want you to take this gift that I gave you. And for the next just two minutes or so, you you don't have to look at me if you don't want to. Some of you are going, thank you. But I just want you to think about that, that situation, that person, that circumstance that you can't let go of that you're struggling with. And we've got pencils in the pews in front of you. You may have a pen that you brought with us today. Maybe this morning you want to write a name on this tongue depressor. Or maybe you just could write a year. It was 1997, and you'll never forget it. It was a crummy year. And just 1997 alone is all you need to, to write on that tongue depressor. You know exactly what that means. I want you to do that right now. Where are you at this morning? Corey Tinboom 
hero of the faith, illustration from the beginning of the service. My favorite quote that I've ever heard her share is this, forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize that prisoner was you. Let it go. It's time to be free. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. And we thank you for how you bless us. And we thank you for the power of your forgiveness of our sins. We're like that first servant. We have a debt we can't pay. We deserve death. And so, Father, help us as recipients of grace and mercy. Help us to be people that can forgive, that can let go, that can understand the incredible, incredible power of your forgiveness. We love you so much. We thank you for the difference that you make in our lives. And it's in your name that I pray this prayer. Amen. We're going to have a commitment time this morning, and it's going to be different than most commitment times here. I don't want you to stand, and I don't want you to sing. You don't have to do anything if you don't want to. But maybe, just maybe, if, if this has touched a nerve, maybe, just maybe, if you've been trying to work through forgiveness in your life, maybe you want to take this tongue depressor with a name or a situation or a year written on it. And maybe as Jim plays and, and blesses us with appropriate music, maybe you want to come forward this morning. And as you get to the foot of the cross, simply take that tongue depressor and snap it. Just break it. Just throw it away. And maybe that will be the first step in letting go and understanding that freedom that only Jesus offers to understanding that freedom that forgiveness truly brings. If, if you want someone to pray with you this morning, my friend Kent's in the back. He'd love to pray with you. I'm up front. I'd love to pray with you. Jim, lead us.
whisper in your ear saying set it free forgiveness have an opportunity just to sing and just respond to uh, God's forgiveness. And uh, we want to sing a song together that just says, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Let's sing together the love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. 
betray. 